Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the Old Testament book of Daniel. We are currently in chapter 8 at verse 1. Hi, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 8 of the book of Daniel, where it says this. In the third year of the reign of Belshazzar the king, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, subsequent to the one which appeared to me previously. I looked in the vision, and while I was looking, I was in the citadel of Susa, which is in the province of Elam. And I looked in the vision, and I myself was beside the Ulai Canal. Then I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a ram which had two horns was standing in front of the canal. Now the two horns were long, but one was longer than the other, with the longer one coming up last. I saw the ram budding westward, northward, and southward, and no other beasts could stand before him, nor was there anyone to rescue from his power. But he did as he pleased and magnified himself. While I was observing, behold, a male goat was coming from the west over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground. And the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came up to the ram that had the two horns, which I had seen standing in front of the canal, and rushed at him in his mighty wrath. I saw him come beside the ram, and he was enraged at him, and he struck the ram and shattered his two horns, and the ram had no strength to withstand him. So he hurled him to the ground and trampled on him, and there was none to rescue the ram from his power. Then the male goat magnified himself exceedingly, but as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken, and in its place there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came forth a rather small horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the beautiful land. It grew up to the host of heaven and caused some of the host and some of the stars to fall to the earth, and it trampled them down. It even magnified itself to be equal with the commander of the host, and it removed the regular sacrifice from him and the place of his sanctuary was thrown down. And on account of transgression, the host will be given over to the horn along with the regular sacrifice, and it will fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that particular one who was speaking, How long will the vision about the regular sacrifice apply, while the transgression causes horror, so as to allow both the holy place and the host to be trampled? He said to me, For two thousand three hundred evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. We find here in chapter 8 that Daniel has another vision. And of course, these visions, these uh, two visions so far, actually take place before the fall of the Babylonian Empire. In other words, uh, before chapter 5 even transpires, because that is where uh, Babylon falls to the Medes and the Persians. 
And so Daniel has already received these visions, but he he clumps all of his visions together at the last part of the the uh, the book of Daniel, uh, beginning in chapter seven. And uh, he tells he tells the uh, the stories of these kings of Babylon first, and kind of gets that out of the way, uh, right up and to and including the fact that uh, uh, the Medes and the Persians come in and conquer the city of Babylon, and he's a part of that uh, uh, that uh, uh, experience in history. But before that particular uh, event takes place, he has these visions here, and uh, chapter seven is one of them. Chapter 8 is the next one. And chapter 8 seems to come along um, about three years later from chapter 7. That means that uh, that uh, the Feast of Belshazzar and uh, the graffiti on the wall and the reading of the, of the writing on the wall has not taken place yet. Uh, but uh, Daniel gets to see this vision. And notice that the location is... Um, is very intriguing because it's not in the Babylonian uh, citadel, or the, that is the the Babylonian uh, palace. It is instead in uh, the citadel of Susa, which happens to be uh, several hundred miles east of Babylon. That means that Daniel basically is in the the what would be eventually the capital city of the Persian Empire, that of the Medes and the Persians. And uh, so that's where he's taken for this vision because that's where it begins. And uh, he wants uh, to... Um, to wants us to notice that first of all he's at this canal. Now we don't know that he is actually at the canal, or or and that is where he sees this vision, or whether he sees the vision while he's still yet in Babylon. But the vision includes him uh, at the canal. We don't know which, but but uh, we do know that it is important that it is in the uh, province of Elam in the Ulai Canal, and that is because that um, Daniel is given this vision to see this ram. This ram has two horns, and one horn is longer than the other, with the longer horn coming up last. And that part of this vision gives us an identity marker. If we didn't have anything else to go by, the fact that one horn is is longer than the other, that is uh, parallel, you see, to the, to the vision earlier about those four beasts. And those four beasts of chapter 7 had uh, had a bear that one shoulder was higher than the other shoulder in the bear. And that seems to express something about this kingdom. And, and uh, these two horns expresses something about the details of that kingdom that the bear itself couldn't express. And that so that this vision is extra in order to describe what uh, almost seemingly be, uh, seems to be the attention toward the military part of the kingdom, and especially the military part that is under the command of the kings in charge. And so these two horns, of course, represent the leaders of the Medes and the Persians. And uh, 
in just in case you think I'm pulling something out of my hat here, the the uh, the angel later on actually does the interpretation for us. You see, we don't have to just allow us to guess at some of these uh, observations because it's already we allow the Bible to interpret itself, and that's the safest place to be. And uh, that is in verse twenty later on in this same chapter, chapter eight of Daniel. Verse 20, it says, The ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. And they are united in this kingdom, but they are in essence representing two military armies and two military sources, and uh, they command two separate militaries that have been united under this one empire, and that's what's going on here. So they are successful. They take over from the Babylonian empire, and that's what uh, what he gets out in verse 4. They, they, they take over the entire region, the, the westward and northward and southward, and, and nobody could stop them. And then and then there is this separate vision that takes place. It says, while I was ob- observing, it's the same vision, but a separate animal, you might say, and uh, that and, and a separate symbol. It says, while I was observing, verse 5, uh, behold, a male goat. And so now we have uh, a ram that has two horns with one horn longer than the other, and that ram represents uh, the kingdom or the empire of the Medes and the Persians. And now we have a male goat. Just uh, just as the uh, the ram uh, is an, another look at the the um, the Medo Persian Empire, which was also represented by the bear earlier in chapter seven. So also we have this male goat, and it is um, representing a, a detail that uh, that the four headed leopard in the previous. Uh, uh, vision uh, couldn't represent. It had a four-headed leopard with four wings, which speaks of the the speed of that those armies. But the four-headed leopard sort of uh, describes the result of this empire, whereas this uh, uh, looks at the details of the battle or the details of the conflict, the the armies of these two empires, and this is. This male goat coming up for over the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a, had a conspicuous horn between its eyes. So you see, this also refers to the speed. You see, his this goat is like flying through the air and without even touching the ground, and that's exactly what is so impressive about the Greek Empire. And just in case you believe that uh, this is stretching a bit in uh, in interpretation, we get the interpretation from the angel later in this chapter in verse 21. It says, the shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece, and the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Well, what's interesting is we now know who that large horn between its eyes. You see, this is sort of like a unicorn corn goat and uh and it has one large horn well we know exactly who that is it's the it's the grecian empire's first 
king. And guess what? It is the person we know now today as Alexander the Great. And so Alexander the Great is actually in Scripture, even though he's not named. And even though what's interesting is in this vision, uh, Alexander the Great isn't even the focus necessarily, except for the fact that he is responsible for this swift conquering of the Medo-Persian Empire. And that's what's important to Daniel. And that's what they're looking at is how speedily this uh, this kingdom takes over from the Medes and the Persians. It's fast. It is so fast it could describe as being a flight in many regards. And that's exactly what's going on. And um, so it says um, it, it, had, uh, it has one single horn. And yet as he as he tramples down, as he defeats the Medes and the Persians, it says the, the male goat magnified himself exceedingly, but as soon as he was mighty, the large horn was broken, and in its place there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. So this one single horn led the Grecian Empire to the this to become this this massive empire that uh, spread across many many territories, conquered so much so quickly, and yet at the same time Alexander the Great found his own demise. It wasn't uh, because of of uh, military battle; it was because of something else, and so. This is, uh, this is Alexander the Great finding his own personal defeat. And after he is defeated or after he, he dies uh, at a very young age, and uh, uh, these four uh, empires arise out of his empire. The Grecian Empire has four that uh, come from it. And that, of course, as uh, we learn later from our own history, we know that these, uh, these four kings... Uh, are uh, the division of Alexander's kingdom in four different ways. And the next part of this vision focuses on the, uh, uh, the, the single one part of that empire that came out of the Grecian Empire. So we're going to look at that as we, uh, as we continue on in chapter 8. And so, in the meantime, let's just uh, take a break here and listen to the musical interlude. the second half of this episode where we're going to start reading the second half of the chapter as well. Now there's some more, some more of the details we're going to fill in as we go along uh, that we didn't cover during the first half of the episode, but we're going to start reading in verse 15 of chapter 8 of the book of Daniel where it says this, When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, standing before me was one who looked like a man. 
And I heard the voice of a man between the banks of Ulai. And he called out and said, Gabriel, give this man an understanding of the vision. So he came near to where I was standing. And when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But he said to me, Son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end. Now while he was talking with me, I sank into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and made me stand upright. He said, Behold, I am going to let you know what will occur at the final period of the indignation, for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. The ram, which you saw with the two horns, represent the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece, and the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. The broken horn and the four horns that arose in its place represent four kingdoms which will arise from his nation, although not with his power. In the latter period of their rule, when the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise, insolent and skilled in intrigue. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power, and he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men and the holy people. And through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence, and he will magnify himself in his heart, and he will destroy many while they are at ease. He will even oppose the prince of princes, but he will be broken without human agency. The vision of the evenings and mornings which has been told is true, but keep the vision secret, for it pertains to many days in the future. Then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days. Then I got up and again and carried on the king's business. But I was astounded at the vision, and there was none to explain it. So then this second half of this chapter uh, explains in much more detail some of the things that we have already read about in the first half of the chapter. And so it gives us a chance to go back and review and compare and parallel these, uh, dis- these descriptors of this particular one person that comes from the Grecian Empire and uh, one of its divisions. And it says back in verse 8, that the large horn was broken. That refers to Alexander the Great. He died at the age of 32 uh, in 323 B.C., June the 13th. And uh, and yet, uh, this is all the Bible says about him. Now, there's some other references to him in other places, but as far as Daniel is concerned, in this dramatic vision here. This is all that he has to say about this person that our historians, from an earthly standpoint, have have, uh, have labeled as being the great one. <laughs> and, yet, uh, and yet here, he's only a footnote in many regards, because uh, this vision of Daniel wants to focus on someone else, someone else that inherits uh, a portion of 
the Grecian Empire and begins to do his thing in his own way, and uh, it becomes a dramatic thing. Now, the, uh, the Empire of Greece was broken up into four divisions, as we can see from, uh, from history, that this is exactly the way it was fulfilled. Uh, that is the uh, Lysimachus, uh, took Bulgaria, Turkey, Thrace, and Bithynia. Uh, the uh, general called uh, Cassander, he took Macedonia and Greece. Uh, Seleucus, uh, he took Syria and Babylon- Babylonia. Uh, Ptolemy uh, took Egypt and Palatine, uh, Palestine. So that so that these four generals from Alexander the Great divided his kingdom up. And so uh, uh, Alexander did not bestow any authority upon them except for the fact that they were uh, his four generals. And when he died, they just kind of like took over. And so this corresponds, you see, to the four-headed leopard we found in chapter 7. And uh, in that that vision of these four monsters. This was the third monster. And uh, this was the leopard with four heads. And so this is the same thing. It parallels exactly, except for the fact that uh, that out of one of these small, uh, that is out of one of these horns came a rather small horn. And this one is uh, the one that, uh, that the angel and the vision focuses in on. And uh, this is the one that comes from the Syrian division. He is the Syrian that uh, we now know who he is because we can go back into history and discover that this guy exactly fulfilled what Daniel said he would do. And that is his name from the Seleucus dynasty, uh, the Syrian by the name of Antiochus uh, IV Epiphanes, or you might call him Antiochus. It depends on where you put the emphasis on what, uh, which uh, uh, emphasis on which uh, syllable. And uh, 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 he actually took uh, control in 175 through 164 BCs, uh, BC, and that is in the book of Maccabees, we find this story. First Maccabees uh, 1 through 6 finds the story of this fellow. And uh, and so he takes over, and he even he's the one that that takes over the beautiful land. It says in verse nine, because and that's the one that gets his attention. You see, Alexander the Great uh, went into the land, all right, but he never went into the city of Jerusalem. And there's uh, at least one legendary story that of why he didn't go into the city of Jerusalem, uh, and uh, we don't know why, except that uh, it was prophesied that that he would bypass the city of Jerusalem, and he. Did and that's the way it came about. But when his his uh, his kingdom was divided among his four generals, and one of the the descendants of those, that uh, one empire was Antiochus Epiphanes, and he uh, was the one that. Uh, that took over the beautiful land. He took control of the land of Israel, the land of promise. And that's what he's referring to. Not only did he take over, but it says in verse 11 of chapter 8 that he 
he removed the regular sacrifice. And then, because it was so shocking that this fellow would even dare to enter into the temple, you see, what he did was something different than what Nebuchadnezzar had done from the Babylonian Empire. You see, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple. He dismantled it. He took the uh, the articles from out of the temple and uh, transported them to his own treasury in Babylon. But he didn't do what this guy, Antiochus Epiphanes, did uh, many, many years later. And that is he desecrated the temple. He threw uh, the uh, the sacrifices to the ground. He, he, he uh, did something horrendous that uh, included putting a statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies. And that was an abominable thing. And it, it was a, a disrespectful, blasphemous action that he took. And that is that takes a different kind of attention than even the destruction of the temple that Nebuchadnezzar did. Uh, that was one thing. That was one uh, act of, of dis, um, disrespect toward the God of Israel. But this fellow here, he not only disrespected uh, the God of Israel, he wanted to replace him in his own holy place. So he took a, a statue of Zeus and put it there. And uh, from, uh, from what we can tell, he actually put his own name on that statue in order to just add this vile, uh, blasphemous act. And then he sacrificed a sow and, uh, and threw this sow's broth, this sow's blood all over the, uh, the inside of the temple of God. And uh, so this fellow is given special attention because the great amount of, of blasphemous action that he took against the God of Israel, and it would last for uh, 2,300 evenings and mornings. That means, that means I, I believe, to be about uh, six years' worth of, uh, of the sacrifices were completely uh, gone for a while until the Maccabees ro- rose up and rebelled against this fellow and reclaimed the, the, uh, the temple and re-cleansed the temple. And uh, the Jewish people even still today celebrate that in uh, in a uh, in a in the uh, in their own Hanukkah celebration that is what Hanukkah is all about to them is the celebration of the the uh, cleansing of the temple and the relighting of the of the holy lamp inside the temple and that would have been the menorah and the reestablishing of uh, the holy place back to the god of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and Moses and the law and so so for uh, six years, this was without any sacrifices. And Antiochus Epiphanes is the guy that did it. And so that's the reason why there is such a drama here. When, when Daniel asked the, uh, the angel, what is this? And, and uh, it, uh, this one angel gives the authority to Gabriel. He's one of the named angels in Scripture that, uh, that he gives the, uh, the interpretation of what this means. And that's where we get verse 20 and 21. The ram which you saw, the two horns represent the kings of Media and Persia. Verse 21, the shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece 
and the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king, and the and that is uh, Alexander the Great. And then verse 22, and the four horns that arose in its place represent four kingdoms uh, which will arise from his nation, though not with his power. And then it describes this one small horn that came from the Syrian section of the Grecian Empire, and that's Antiochus Epiphanes. And uh, he, he, he did so not by battle, but by intrigue and by, by subterfuge. And he, he supplanted the person who was supposed to take the throne, and he did it all on his own. He, he attacked Israel. He attacked the Jewish people in the land at, at one time, massacring 80,000 Jewish people. And, uh, and he opposed the God of Israel. He opposed the God's promise of, of uh, Messiah. He opposed everything about God's word. He destroyed any scriptures he could get his hands on. And, uh, and he either tore them up or burned them up. And that's who this fellow is. And that's the reason why the Bible gives us special attention is the horrendous thing that this fellow did against the God of Israel and the God of the Jews and the Jews themselves. And uh, uh, you got to remember that that uh, Daniel sees this vision while yet the, uh, the temple is still not even rebuilt yet. It is still in ruins. It hasn't been rebuilt, uh, and it's not going to be for many, many years to come. And yet Daniel sees that not only is it going to stand again, it's going to be defiled by this, this Assyrian king from one of the divisions of the Grecian Empire. And what do you know? We see that this was fulfilled in our history. We can go back in our history books, and this is exactly what happened when Antiochus Epiphanes defiled the temple and set himself up as the God over the Jews rather than Yahweh, the God of Israel. And we find then this chapter concludes with the fact that Daniel is sick for days. This is not fun stuff for Daniel. This is, this is horrible to his own physical body because of the emotional drain upon seeing this vision occur in front of his eyes and not being able to do anything about it except write it down. And yet we know that this is exactly what happened. Therefore, if Daniel gets more visions, if he gets more revelation of what is, a, is going to come, then we should pay very close attention because what he has said in verse in chapters seven and eight has already been fulfilled. Then we can be fulfilled. We can be assured that what he is yet to talk about will be fulfilled in our future as well. Father, thank you for these moments together in your Word. We pray that you would encourage us with strength and with confidence in knowing you and knowing what you have predicted will come true. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you enjoyed this presentation today. This is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.